special report with Brett Baer on Fox. They're having a panel discussion about the mess, the awfulness in Syria, and talking about how awful it is. And they had three guests of different political stripes. So at the end of the discussion of how awful things are, this happened. What will change? Is there something that's going to change from a U.S. perspective in regards vis-a-vis Syria? No. No. Nothing. I don't believe so. Zero. Zero. Okay. So we'll leave it there. What? Unbelievable. I mean, it just... I, I, that that's where we are. That's mm. what's happening. Well, please welcome back to the Armstrong and Getty Show, Lara Logan, correspondent for sixty minutes and uh, one of the great foreign correspondents around. In our opinion, Lara, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Oh, uh, we're terrific. It's always fun to talk. Hey, if I, if you don't mind, a semi personal question. Yes. Um, as sure. you as you spend your career surveying this sort of stuff. Do you ever feel like your soul is just getting bruised? Because it's really heavy. No, actually, I, I tell you what, I don't. The part that bruises my soul is the politics. Mm. That's the part that just kills you. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Because sometimes I just find it so... Well, depressing is the wrong word. It's, it's more than that. It's just so discouraging. Sometimes I feel like I'm being weighed down. Well, I know what you mean, but I think that's partly because, you know, when you're at a distance and all you get is, um, you know, you're only getting one side of it that, oh, my God, there's more tragedy coming out of Syria. But when you're on the ground there, you know, you get to experience the best and worst of humanity and you're part of something that really matters. You know how often, remember what Band of Brothers was about? As hard as it was in those trenches, when many of those guys came home, they didn't know who they were right. outside of the trenches, right? And in, in some ways, it's a little bit like that, because you're, when you're there, you're able to do something about it. You feel like you're contributing in some way, and you also get to see the best and the worst of humanity there. And so, I mean, for me, I've always considered it, I mean, such a privilege. I call it the selfish job on earth, because I get to skip the dry cleaners and the bank and homework and all that stuff, right? And I go straight to life and death and all the things that matter living this you know noble venture where we're all doing our best and we're part of something and it, and it means something and you know you hear people say all the time oh people are the same all over the world well i'm not always sure that that's true but i do think one consistent thing that i find is that everywhere i go people want their life to mean something so how lucky you know, am I in a way that I get to go over there and do this work? And yes, it's hard, but my life means something. And um, and I and I. So I, when you're at a distance, things look more dangerous. They look more difficult. They look incomprehensible. But when you're there, it doesn't mean you can solve everything. It just means that um, you can do something. You can at least do your part. And uh, and that helps me not feel depressed. Well, beautifully and I also, said. I just process it head on. If I'm sad or moved by something or pained, you know, I cry. I mean, I I don't I don't try to pretend to be something that I'm not. I'm human, and I and I kind of. I don't know. I've survived by sort of embracing that. I give my all, though. They get all of me. They get my heart, my soul, you know, my time, my attention. And so, you know, when I when I get on the plane and go home, I got nothing left, you know. Yeah. I know that I gave everything I could. That is a beautifully said. And on that note, it would be difficult to imagine a more complicated and, uh, and dangerous situation than the current uh, situation in Syria slash Iraq. Well, you know... <laughs> 
There's much minded people than me said a long time ago at the beginning of this war, um, all our good options are gone. The only ones left are bad options. And fast forward, I don't know how many years later, seven, and it's now, you know, we have more bad options than we did before. It's when you let, when you, it's, you know, you want to talk about dereliction of duty. When there's dereliction of duty and you allow things to get as messy as they are, um, then, of course, you end up with a situation like this. I just can't understand, you know, I get asked a lot of times about the refugee situation. And um, people said to me, you know, well, we're arguing about how many people should be let in and how many shouldn't. And I always say to them, why are you asking me to put a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound? You're not going to fix your refugee problem in Europe or anywhere else unless you fix the problem at its source. Right, unless you deal with that. And I love how we're always so quick to say, oh, the military have failed, which is, you know, fine. I'm not saying the military shouldn't take responsibility for their part in this. But do we not forget, we not remember that the military work for the commander in chief, right. that the politicians are the ones who make these decisions? Why don't you hold your political leaders to account when they're still in office? Not after they've gone. We want to have all these conversations after they're gone. Oh, you know, we you know, we should have done this or we should have done that. Or why did, you know, what about when they're in power and they can still do something about it? So are you hinting then that we should have taken swift and decisive action in Syria a long time ago, interjected ourselves in some way? You know, I'm, I want to be very clear here. I mean, I'm not a policy person, and I'm not a military commander, so I don't make those decisions, right? But what I can tell you is that it didn't take a brain surgeon to work out where the situation in Syria was going. Um, and the, the degree of suffering in Syria, to me, is striking. I mean, I know that people suffer in every war, and I've seen that, you know, firsthand. But uh, these people have been brutalized on every side. It's not very often as a foreign correspondent that you're having difficulty going to cover a war because you've got bad guys in every direction, right? There's no, there's no zone uh, there for you where you can have a reasonable expectation of making it out alive. That's Syria. So what does that, that tells you everything that, as a journalist that you need to know about this situation. And look at the, the, um, what you're talking about here, generations of Syrian kids and families who are uh, who have not just been you know uh, have suffered an incredible danger and constant bombardment and a total disregard for civilian life, but they've been tortured by people on all sides. And oh yes, add to that betrayal, you know, because quite frankly they've been betrayed by the international community, right? Who that has pretty much stood by while their uh, suffering has gone beyond the pale. So and all you want to hear um, in the U.S. is. You know, well, people are tired of war. Well, a war then is that your only is that your only answer to everything? I mean, if if all these other you know means of resolving conflicts, like you know political and diplomatic solutions, if those are your go-to position, if you're saying, well, we don't believe in war, you know, we want to extricate America from war, and and we think that there's a better way of dealing with this, so let's see it then, right? Well, you've been around a lot of these people in these awful situations. Do they pay much attention to what the UN says? People pay a lot of attention to what happens in the other parts of the world. You know, America, the U.S. is unique in a sense that here, you know, life is pretty much going to go on regardless of what's happening elsewhere. The rest of the world is not so big. I mean, it's sometimes, in some ways, it's just a function of geography. The rest of the world has borders. If you live in a European country, I mean, you can pass through three countries just driving to a fourth country for a summer weekend, right? I mean, you're not doing that in the U.S. 
you can, I think you can drive from my part of Texas for two days straight just to reach the Mexican border. Right. You know, so um, sometimes it's just a function of of geography in that sense. Um, when you live overseas, you know, you have a much uh, a much more acute sense of your place and position in the world because you're much more impacted by it. Um, and then on top of that, you know, um, countries interfere in other countries. I don't know. We seem to think today that it's only Russia that interferes in America's affairs, and outside of that, you know, this is a unique situation. That's just not reality, right? Countries do interfere in other countries' affairs, and um, neighbors care about what their neighbors are doing. I mean, there's regional um, interests, there's uh, broader strategic interests, there's, you know, there's all kinds of things to be gained by having influence and and, and control over uh, your neighbors. And so you see that a lot. So do people think, oh, the UN is coming to save us? No. Um, are people bitter about the role of the UN? Yes. I mean, in some of these countries, the UN is the only chance they have, you know? So um, it's not so much that they live on and hang on every word that the UN comes up with as what are your options? We're talking with Laura Logan, one of the world's best foreign correspondents. You know, I'm, I'm distracted by Joe's opening question, your answer. It is, it is amazing to me I uh, mean, you should teach some classes or something like that. I mean, you're, you've come up against man's worst impulses. I, I doubt you have any uh, illusions left whatsoever about how evil people can be or duplicitous or whatever. Yet you None. still have a positive attitude about it. It's just amazing to me. Well, because um, I believe in the in the goodness of people. I mean, I believe in what we're supposed to do as journalists, not what we end up doing half the time, but what we can do when we're at our best, because I've seen that. I mean, if, if Nelson Mandela hadn't believed in that, would he have survived 27 years in jail? Not to say that I'm not comparing myself to Nelson Mandela. Please, I don't want anyone to think that. Um, because it's the closest I've ever had to a, her- a hero, you know, in real life is that man. But I just mean in, in terms of the principle. I mean, look at all these people. When Gandhi came as a young student to South Africa and led the defiance campaign um, of resistance, of passive resistance against the apartheid government, you know, did he change apartheid in that moment? No. But the work that he did, the foundation that he laid, you know, was part of what gave Mandela the, the space and the ability to to operate. I mean, somebody said to me once, you know, I was trying to help someone and they said, you know, Laura, you can't, you can't save everybody and you can't help everybody. And I, you know, it really bothered me because sometimes I get a little overwhelmed, you know, and feel like I'm not achieving anything because I'm trying to do so many things at once. And and I thought about this, what this person said over and over again. And then I, I realized why it was bothering me so much. Because if you don't try to save everyone, how do you know that you're going to end up saving anyone? You have to try. You might not be able to, but you have to try, right? Well, right, and that's a ridiculous thing to compare yourself with, achieving everything. Save one person. What will that mean to that one person? It's, you know, time-honored wisdom, but it's it's worth repeating. Laura Logan, 60 Minutes correspondent, is on the line. You know, we're really supposed to take a break. Um, Don't take a break. i got to tell you a story. <laughs> okay, we want to hear the story. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, so I know this French Catholic priest, Father Patrick Dubois, who spent more than 15 years documenting Hitler's mobile death squads in Eastern Europe, something we didn't know anything about because the Soviets had kept all that, you know, under wraps. And he revealed 
that more than half of the Jews who died in the Second World War weren't killed in secret in concentration camps behind closed walls where no one knew what was happening. They were murdered by mobile death squads and shot to death in public in villages across Eastern Europe. Why does, why does this matter? Father Dubois said to me, I never look to governments to change anything. He said, who are the names we remember from the Second World War who saved Jewish people and Jewish families? He said, they're individuals. We don't have the name of governments who did this. We have the name of people who smuggled them out and risked their lives and did everything. He said, and that's who I still look to today. It's not governments who are saving the Yazidis from ISIS. And by the way, still many Yazidi women and children in the hands of ISIS, even though the so-called caliphate doesn't exist anymore. Uh, right? So it is up to people. It is up to individuals to do what you can, if you can. That is fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Boy, listen to that over and over again, my friends, and and employ it however you see fit in your lives. You are amazing. Yeah. Uh, Laura Logan of 60 Minutes. I wish we could talk to you all day, but maybe we can uh, steal a little more of your time uh, before too long. Anytime. And so, you know, any work on the TV show, you need some help with that? <clears throat> Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> there's, there's Emmy buzz. <laughs> you, we'll get you, you involved. You. Why, yeah, you ought to. Laura Logan, hey, it's great to talk. Thanks a million. Okay. Thank All right, you. All right, bye-bye. <laughs> awesome. Oh my God. She, she, I already uh, have been a fan of her for, hers for years, right? She's, she honestly is one of the best foreign correspondents in the world. Right. But that stuff about, you know, her view of humanity and, and how she stays sane and, and, and is she doing any good in the world? Just fantastic. Well, she's made us some special stuff. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Maybe, maybe we can stir up some of that within ourselves, but I think she's a, a special individual. Yeah, not, yeah, I'm not sure. We can all try, but I'm not sure everyone could just decide to take on that attitude and have it work. But, Having you know, seen what she's seen and, and, and gone through what she's gone through. To kind of dovetail off some of our conversation, if I can be 5% more like that, right, right. I think it's a good thing. Man, that's incredible. Wow. Um, so we got clips of the week coming up a little bit. Already getting great texts about uh, Laura Logan. 415-295-KFTC. She's not letting up on the TV show. Oh, right? boy. <laughs> You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. How's that TV show of yours going? Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. So we got a bunch of texts, obviously, every time we have Laura Logan on. You know, I'm not going to read the couple of uh, just really over-the-top negative texts that I... They're either trolling, which makes you ill, in my opinion, right. or you are mentally ill. Yeah. So I'm not God going bless there. You. I hope you get help. Um, absolutely brilliant and courageous. Uh, Laura Logan's a great, great guest, extremely intelligent, great report. On the front lines of the humanitarian crisis, fantastic, best interview ever. I love when you have her on; she's amazing. Blah blah blah, lots of that. And she is; she's 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 incredible. My and, only, and and not oh. only is her reporting great, and I've liked it for geez, I don't know, fifteen years that I've been into. She used to be on Charlie Rose all the time. He'd have her on for a whole hour talking about various spots in the Middle East, mm-hmm. and just nonstop, fascinating. Her level of expertise is just unbelievable. But then the stuff that you brought out of her with that fantastic question about too kind. how you deal with that, it's just it's inc- amazing. 
Well, yeah, uh, you know, I almost, part of me kind of regrets it just because there are so many specifics I wanted to talk right. about, but um, you can't do everything, I suppose, in the limited time we have. I, I, You know, I asked that question because I've been thinking about it myself. Because I, uh, you know, in the to quote the Indigo Girls, you know me, I take everything so seriously. In fact, I take too much too seriously. Um, and And there are a lot of days I just can't stand this anymore, how ugly everything is, and... um. I just wondered how she does, right. deals with it. And, and, and I'm just watching it on TV and reading about it in the paper. I'm not right. actually with the people that then die because Russia bombed the, the school. Or the hospital they were recuperating in after Russia bombed their school. Uh-huh. Right. For instance. Yeah, but her her being energized by doing good is just so cool and interesting. And your point about she has no illusions left, and she said none. Wow. Well, that's that's courage. Well, you know, like somebody said on the Brett Bear show that we played a clip of earlier, that Putin's doing what we all knew he was going to do. Who thought he was actually there to help fight ISIS? Right. I mean, we're we were just pretending that, right? Didn't the the Obama administration and then the Trump administration just go along with that? Because then you don't have to confront it. You don't have to come up with a policy. You just pretend, yeah, yeah, Russia's there in, in Syria to fight ISIS, and that's good for us. So that's cool. Because if you if you say out loud, which is what is obviously true, no, they're not. They're there to kill anybody that gets in the way of Assad. Right. Their puppet staying in power so that they have a foothold in Syria. I think the best way you could describe it, the most charitable way you could describe it, is kind of a wishful thinking that you can get them to do seventy percent good and only thirty percent evil, and and eventually the the carnage ends. Man, Robert Gates was right when he looks in Putin's eyes. What does he see? A stone cold killer. Putin is a stone cold killer. Oh yeah, because that's not happening without his orders. Mm-hmm. So they're bombing schools and hospitals. To kill people. And now they're going to go in on the ground and do that um, because he gets him more power. He is a stone-cold killer. He is yeah. a bad man. Well, there, are, there are theories of warfare that say that's the way to kill the fewest people. Complete, all-out, devastating, unmitigated warfare. And then it's over. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying that's one point of view. Um, it's also a great way to win. Uh, it uh, demoralizes right. uh, the people. Which is exactly what they're doing. You know, as long as we're waxing A, philosophical, and B, dark, read uh, Thomas Friedman's fantastic from Beirut to Jerusalem. I can never remember which cities. There are too many cities in the world. Um, the chapter called Hama Rules. You can probably find it in, um, it's not like a high school. Hama Rules, man. No, it's the rules of Hama as in Assad's dad did the same thing to the city of Hama when there was an uprising against him. Utter, merciless, baby-killing genocide. Kept the family in power. To send the message, don't ever do that again. And that's what Junior's doing right now. Yeah. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, we've got the wit, wisdom, and warnings of one Donald Trump at CPAC and Airbnb launching Airbnb Plus. Coming up minutes from now. We make people pay for commercials, Marshall. (laughs) Why do I have to explain that to you? Can we promise no more grim for the rest of the show? No more grim. Not an ounce of grim. And uh, clips of the week not too far off on the Armstrong and Getty Show. What's the best thing you've seen on the Twitter there, Sean? Looking at the Twitter. Uh, the That's joke the that, one with the little bird, right? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> the joke that just made me laugh. Do Tide Pods actually make you smarter? Because these teens are impressive as hell. I don't know. That was <laughs> a funny joke. Yeah. 
Oh, one of the teens had a good line today. I don't know if it was fair or not, but it was a good line. Oh, like one of the the teens were talking about yeah. the school shootings? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're good. What, do you remember what that was, Sean? You hit me with it. Uh, One of the... T- hmm. What does an AR-15 and Marco oh, Rubio yeah, have in common? Yeah, we need to call AR-15s Marco Rubios because they're both easy to buy. So that's gone viral. Lots of hashtags. That's unfair. That sort of thing. Well, it's not fair. It's the internet. It's, under, it's understanding how to get your message out there. But my hallmark is fairness. Way, in a pithy way. In Whatever social happened media. to the high road? <laughs> Let's uh, get the news now with Marcia Phillips. Well, President Trump is cheering his administration's conservative agenda. He was speaking at the annual CPAC summit in Maryland today. The president touting his signature bill that he signed in December. We've passed massive, biggest in history, Tax cuts and reforms. And during the beginning of his speech, the president... I think generally agreed upon that's not the biggest tax cut in history, isn't it? Mm. Eh, it doesn't matter. During it's the, the be- year of hyperbole. During it's the, the best year of hyperbole there's ever been. During the beginning of his speech, the president had some fun admiring his image on one of the monitors. By the way, what a nice picture that is. Look at that. I'd love to watch that guy speak. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's see how... Oh, I try like hell to hide that ball spot, folks. I work harder. Wow, the most? Doesn't look bad. Hey, we're hanging in. We're hanging in. That is the most. We're hanging in there, right? Together, we're hanging in. Charmingly self-deprecating Trump moment ever. (laughs) That's something that he just... What an interesting cat. Well, he goes from the old-timey wrestler, gorgeous George, just bizarre self-regard to a nice self-effacing joke. What a character. And as he wrapped up his speech, Trump had this warning. So I just leave you with this. We have to fight Nancy Pelosi. They want to give your money away. They want to give your money away. They want to end your tax cuts. They want to do things that you wouldn't even believe, including taking your Second Amendment rights away. They will do that. They will do that. Who let them? There you go. You know, don't want to talk about it. Don't want to jump ahead. But in terms of beating Trump in 2020, you got to have a candidate. Who's that candidate going to be? Can't wait to find out. But you got to have somebody. That could be. Yeah. It's not going to be Oprah, right? Apparently not. No. Florida Governor Rick Scott says he wants to up the age to buy a weapon move from 18 to 21. That's just one part of his major action plan to combat school shootings. It's being rolled out today. Scott also said he wants one armed school officer per 1,000 students at every school and for students to practice shooting drills regularly. I assume he means, okay, let's, you know, how do we deal with a shooter on campus? Yeah, yeah. I, I saw just a quick featurette of what some students did in some places to quickly, like with a belt or something, right. uh, tie the door so it couldn't be opened. Um, and that sort of thing. You know, I hate that the kids are having to deal with this in a way that's probably disproportionate to the risk. At oh, the same time, definitely though, disproportionate to the risk, just mathematically. Well, right, right. At the same time, though, if there are a few quick and easy things you can do, some doors at Virginia Tech, the guy went in, some doors he yeah. couldn't get in. If there are quick and easy things you can do, I guess they ought to know what they are. Can we teach all the teachers that without having to talk to the kids about, there's a decent chance you're going to be shot at school someday, so here's what you need to do. Well, I might rephrase that, but yeah, I know what you mean. Airbnb is debuting a new category of home rentals that have been inspected. An effort to ease user concerns about whether the place they're booking is really up to par. 
So Airbnb is sending out inspectors to rate thousands of properties for its new Plus program, meant for the people who don't trust the current rating system based on reviews posted by past guests and who are wary of misleading photos. Airbnb said its internal surveys found nearly three-fourths of its users are willing to pay more for inspected properties. So they're going to send out inspectors, take a look, you know, give a written report. You and who does the that. inspecting? Airbnb does? Or? Yeah, Airbnb okay. will uh, have a team of uh, inspectors going out. Fine. That's the, the private sector doing its thing. Indeed. Steve Jobs, 1973 job applications going up for auction. The man who co-founded <laughs> Apple was just another guy looking for a gig when he filled out an app for an unspecified position after he dropped out of college in 1972. Today, that application is expected to fetch $50,000 at auction. It's a hell of a novelty item. College dropout. Have you seen that ad? There's some funny ads running during the Olympics. I don't even remember what it's an ad for, which to me is a mark of a bad ad. But I remember the ad. Um, Must be phone service? Anyway, uh, husband and wife discussing something about... And Jimmy's only going to be here a while. Jimmy moved back in? Yeah, Jimmy's back in. And he's down in the basement, and he yells off, You know, in some cultures, it's okay to stay at home until you're 40. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right, moving into the final weekend of the Winter Olympics, but not before we get Positive Sean's medal meltdown. Yes, Norway still uh, clinging to the lead with the most value of medals that they have won per event. They have $12,000 in medal winnings. Second place. I'll buy you like a three-bedroom house in Norway, too. <laughs> Second place is you know, Germany. Whale fat for lunch. Back to you. $9,700 in winnings. Yeah. We have, uh, let's see, it's the um, uh, Canada is in third place with 8300 America, fourth place, 6800 And the Netherlands in fifth, $6,500 in winnings. Have you figured out how many gold medals we'd have to win to eclipse the Canadians? Uh, to eclipse the Canadians. So Canada's at 8,300. We are sitting at 68. We need about three, three to four. We are 0 for figure skating for the first time, I yeah. think, ever. Yeah. yeah. No men's, no women's, no teams, no medals. But we have a household name because he sassed the vice president. Oh, boy. All righty, that's a wrap. That is your news. I'm Marshall Phillips of the Armstrong and Getty Show, Conscience of the Nation. Here, let me give the eagle a squeeze. <laughs> nice job, Squawky. <laughs> Apparently, there's a documentary out there about snowboarders, and uh, snowboarders are real uh, marijuana sport. What? According to this huh? documentary. You're kidding. Like, they get crazy high. That's how they, they get in the zone for all their flips and whatnot. Maybe that's what our skaters aren't doing. More marijuana and skating. Maybe that's what we need. Did our gold medalist perform high? I would like to know that. Uh huh. Would that be against the law? Is that a performance? I'm in just stoned. The laws of South Korea. Did our diplomats smooth the way for them to be able to have pot in South Korea? Because I don't know. Is South Korea like Humboldt County, or is it like uh, Singapore, where they'll put you to death? I don't know. Uh, we've got clips of the week coming up. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So our latest video.
video is out there. I have gotten more reaction in real life about this latest video than one I can remember for some reason. I found it childish. Maybe it was the uh, the ick in it. I don't know. But where do you find the videos? At our website at armstrongandgettyradio.com or is it armstrongandgetty.com? Armstrongandgetty.com. Either one. Because yeah. we bought the rights to armstrongandgetty.com. From somebody who took charity and pity on us and just held on to it till we woke up. <laughs> Armstrongandgetty.com. Got around to it. Yeah. You guys are very humble. He he bought the domain name. He said, "You guys can have it ba- back when you beat me in hand-to-hand combat." <laughs> Joe, listen, I oh Sean, I asked you not to talk about this, but go okay, ahead. Okay, like, go ahead. Joe stripped to the waist, yeah. greased himself up, <laughs> mm-hmm. and was just a Tasmanian devil on the mat. I mean, it was impressive. Well, I'm proud of the wheelhouse kick to the ear that I administered <laughs> because I, I couldn't kick you in the knee. I'm so inflexible. <laughs> And Sean's videos up there, his movie reviews, are they also at armstrongandgetty.com? Cool. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, listen, uh, top priority is to get Clips of the Week played. And then if we have time, we'll chat about more. But right now, let's take a fun look back at the week that was. It's Cal Clips of the Week. We call BS. It is a little ironic that the people who are acting with the most maturity in this horrifying situation aren't even old enough to say the word bull in front of their parents. In June of 2017, a request came to the Unicode Emoji Library to include a lobster. Adding a lobster emoji, the application said, will complete the representation of popular crustaceans in the emoji collection. (laughs) I'm not from this town. I understand this town likes to talk about a lot of things that are really not important. Make make ends meet. So, no, we're not talking about that. If you had seen me in our school's production of Fiddler on the Roof, you would know that nobody would pay me to act for anything. Your comments this week and those of our president have been pathetically weak. It's called concealed carry, where a teacher would have a concealed gun on them. It doesn't make sense. Fix it. Should have been one school shooting and we should have fixed it. And I'm pissed because my daughter I'm not going to see again. I try like hell to hide that ball spot, folks. I work harder. Do something or I'm going, I'm going to do something grim again. Oh, no. Wait a minute. No grim. No grim. Wait a minute. Hang on now. Hold on. Hang, hang on. So uh, a Canadian hockey player has apologized for removing her silver medal. Right after the shootout, when they put the medals around their necks, uh, this, she was just so mad that they lost. She took off her medal in disgust. Stupid silver! She has apologized. She, she said, I apologize to the IOC, IHF, the Pyongyang Olympic Organization Committee, Canadian Olympic Committee. She goes on and on and on, especially yeah. my teammates. It'll be okay. You know what? It'll be okay. We'll all be all right. What's her name? Because uh, I'm sure she's listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Conscience of the Continent. Uh, Ms. LaRoque, totally understand why you did that. It's that competitive spirit that got you to where you are. Your 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 apology was classy and appropriate. 
you are forgiven. In the moment I was disappointed. Great effort. In the moment I was disappointed with the outcome of the game and my emotions got the better of me, I meant no disrespect. It's been an honor to represent my country and win a medal for Canada. And I think anybody sure. who isn't looking for an excuse to be pissed off at somebody else to avoid examining their own unhappy life would accept that <laughs> on its face. Well done. Sure. Loser! <laughs> nice second place. We're over here polishing our gold. <laughs> <laughs> gold! <laughs> Uh, speaking of the Olympics, which are almost over, nice note here from Randall. Uh, we were talking about uh, skiers, snowboarders, and whether it's mostly affluent families, blah, blah, blah. Probably correct in many cases. But uh, Randall says, I saw a great NBC story on uh, gold-slash-silver snowboarder Jamie Anderson from South Lake Tahoe. Middle child, family of 10, loved to play in the snow, far from affluent, it seemed Learned how to snowboard on hand-me-down equipment. Just seemed to have the knack and desire leading to support and sponsorship. Cool. So that's nice. Nice story there. Plucky youngster makes good. You know, it's ironic, and, and USA Soccer is working really hard to deal with this, that the sport played by, I mean, literally the starving in a lot of places on Earth, you got to have a few grand a year to play on the good teams in the United States. Oh, yeah. Club soccer is extremely expensive. Good point. And they're trying to figure out what to do about that because it's just crazy. Yeah, the and reason. It's hurting us in international the soccer. The reason it's such a popular world sport is all you need is a piece of ground and something round to play yeah or crumpled up newspaper people you know it helps if you have a ball i'll grant you that a soccer ball is a good thing to have but then all you need is ground and in the united states it costs you you know thousand dollars a month to have a kid play yeah. soccer <laughs> yeah that's well, funny. Got uniforms and picture day and, and yeah, trophies and traveling mm, because you got gym, matching gym bags and the rest of it but you know it's an affluent society yeah, trying to fine. uh you know approach it from the perspective of affluence i guess do what you want i'm not complaining i don't think <laughs> no give me 10 minutes to do what i want you'll be complaining my whole family's sick so uh, i just i get a just got a text from my wife. I'm, I'm walking into the... Dad's finally home to rescue the family. Thing. Oh. <laughs> Gar. So I got to get got to have a cup of coffee and get get ready to go here. Yeah, yeah Judy's sick too right now. Ooh, sick yeah. of you or well, just has place. a microbe of some sort? Place. Is it, Is it about the drinking? <laughs> Shut <Sure>. up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I would lash back, but I'm too oh, mature. Wow, wow. <laughs> hey, guys going to do your, uh, your final thoughts now? Hmm? Give uh, one last little amusing one-liner quip. Hmm? Yeah. Hmm? Maybe even a valuable life lesson discerned from the new stories of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you guys go ahead and do that now. Awesome. Here's your host, Joe Getty. Final thought. Positive, Sean. Final thought. Yes. Uh, Annihilation movie coming out this weekend. Uh, science fiction joint. The last movie this director did was Ex Machina, which is one of my favorite movies. I'm really looking forward to this one. I'll have a full report on Monday. Marshall Phillips, what is your final thoughts, sir? Boy, I gotta tell you, I know what these Olympians are going through. I have had to halt my push-up training until next week. I need to get checked out. I felt a ping in the area of my previous Armstrong and Getty show sports-related injury. That's not good. No, you had it surgically repaired, huh? Yes. You felt a ping. A ping. little ping. Did you contact the doctor? I am meeting with my sports medicine team next week. (laughs) Michelangelo, your final thoughts, sir? Yes, that is very moment at my home i have a dryer repairman trying to fi- fix my dryer please think good thoughts so that i can get a timely and inexpensive repair <laughs> thank you <laughs> jack what is your final thought for us i'm taking a lot of olympics uh, over the weekend got a bunch of stuff dvr'd with the kids everybody's sick sitting on the couch watching tv anywhere i've, I've enjoyed it 
Looking forward to the closing ceremony, though. What's going to be the deal with the uh, Ivanka and the yeah. North Korean general up there in the box to watch the ceremony? I'll, I'll be on it. Well, you stole my final thought, which is Ivanka versus the North Korean general might be the greatest mismatch since, well, I don't know what, Obama and Putin, maybe. A mismatch in terms of what? Well, that's the thing. In terms of how the hell was it decided that was a good idea? Don't know. They'll send their nastiest general, who really shouldn't be going to South Korea at all, we'll send the president's daughter. We'll send our hottest relative of the president. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she'll charm him or befuddle him or or kick him in the nuts or something. I don't know. Just seems odd. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. Can we send Pence back? Or how about Mattis? Old. Nobody keeps me up at night. I keep other people up at night. That would be awesome. Yes! Or McMaster. It's not too late. Recall Ivanka. See you tomorrow, Monday. Go to armstrongandgettyradio.com. God bless America. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from not planning, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. Now the time has come to go. If this still cop was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! (laughs) Armstrong and Getty, the voice of the West.